Hey everyone, how are you doing? So it's me, it's Clara. Uh, I'm filming this in December, as you can probably guess. Uh, but I realise that this isn't going to come out till January. So if you're confused by the Christmas tree, there you go. For those listening on podcast, um, I have a Christmas tree behind me. Um, so, uh, yeah, so New Year and I've got a fresh batch of uh, science chats with some colleagues and friends of mine who are just amazing scientists but also great uh, scientific role models as well. And today uh, I'm excited to start this new batch with a uh, discussion with Dr. Michael Sulu, who is a bioengineer at uh, UCL in London in the UK. Um awesome person i always have such a great chat well pretty much everyone that's here on this um i i love chatting to them i can chat to them for hours and it was no different today um but i managed to keep an eye on the time so that it wasn't too long so um you know what why don't we just uh, get into it eh? <laughs> let's do that hey mike Michael, so Dr. Michael Sulu, uh, can you introduce yourself for the audience and tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, sort of the elevator pitch of your work? Yeah. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, so my name is Dr. Michael Sulu, or Mike. Um, I am a biochemical engineer. Um, and I work at University College London. Um, my work, is, I guess, over the years has changed a lot, actually. So uh, my department is very, very, very kind of healthcare focused. So all of the things that we do revolve around um, some of the cell and gene therapy work. But when I was a student, an undergraduate, it was all focused on making antibodies um, as a a therapeutic for things like uh, cancer. Um, Sorry. (laughs) I didn't didn't really want to work with healthcare. So I moved over for my PhD and did some uh, renewable fuel work. So I made, uh, I did biological hydrogen hydrogen production, um, Ah. which was, I really enjoyed it. It was, uh, well, enjoyed it as much as you can enjoy a PhD. So, it was, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was using E. coli, the bacteria, to make hydrogen um, from uh, sugar containing waste that we got from Cadbury's. Um, so, oh, it was wow. like energy from waste. Um, I was really interested in it. And then, from my first postdoc, I stayed in kind of bioenergy and looked at making um, anaerobic, well, doing anaerobic digestion using different waste sources. Um, including a, a few kind of algae types, so macro system from seedweed, and then also from like your normal microalgae as well. Uh, left that and moved back to UCL, and because of that, was kind of forced into back towards healthcare. Um, and I had a, for a, I think six years, I ran um, a facility that was all about. Um, the first step in a bioprocess, so learning, teaching um, students and doing some research in different methods of growing different types of microorganism. And we tried to grow, I tried to grow everything, so bacteria, yeasts, fungi, algae, mammalian cells, um, or basically anything that would be grown. I would grow, but usually with a healthcare focus. Um, but uh, this year, um, and I guess over the last 18 months or so, it's become very increasingly clear that um, our students don't all go out into healthcare industry. And because of that, we've had to think about what we should teach our students. Huh. And uh, the newest thing that people are, I guess, people are doing research in, and which is what I'm going to move into um, over the next, hopefully, 18, 18 months, two years, 
is uh, alternative protein sources for food. So, oh. um, from anything from what they call cellular agriculture, so growing meat cells to create meat products, through to any kind of grown protein source, uh, whether that be, well, I guess it will always be a yeast or fungus based uh, or have a plant derivation. Hmm. Wow, that's so cool. Like, there's so many different aspects in there. I can yeah. talk about or, or <laughs> ask about at least. So how, I mean, how did you get started then? Did you do a sort of life science undergrad? Was it, I, I'm, uh, I'll be honest, I don't really know the bio side of it all that well. So I'm much more comfortable with the physics engineering side. But so how did you start off? So I think I am too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I did, um, um, I actually started off in the department I work in now. So I did a biochemical engineering degree, um, which is, I guess it was like a sibling of chemical engineering. So it's okay. process engineering. Um, but we had to, as well as learning about how to put processes together, learn about how specific types of microorganisms work. And they're the ones that you usually use in industrial processes. So a lot of them are done with the bacteria uh, E. coli. And then there's a couple of yeast-based processes um, like uh, that used, like, I guess, a, a version of baker's yeast or brewer's yeast, so Saccharomyces. And another one which is called Pikia, which is used because it's easy to easy to control how it grows a little bit and also how it produces things. So huh. my undergrad was, I guess, basically like a chemical engineering degree, um, okay. but removing the oil and gas and replacing it with bacteria. Ah, wow! I I hadn't even hadn't even put that together. So, you know, the stuff you're talking about reminds me. I had an ex who was. Um, did a PhD in a similar sort of stuff, but yeah. her first degree was biology based. So that's that's why I was asking. So I didn't even think about it being a sort of uh, biochemistry. That's so cool. I love yeah. it. It's not yeah. widely done. Most places you would do chemical engineering and then have an interest in biology or biochemistry. So oh. there's only like I think there's only maybe two or three like standalone. There's only one standalone department. Only two or three places that have the degree as a whole in the country. Wow huh yeah i i had no idea and it's actually kind of nice because I, I i not that i have any idea about growing stuff but some of the things that you were mentioning some like the yeast and some of the proteins and stuff like that it's like oh i have a vague memory of that from a long time ago but not loads um not loads but some um really not my feel but it's kind of cool and so yeah so you were working on trying to create um fuel energy basically yeah. yeah um wow is that viable uh <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> why would you shoot my dreams down like that <laughs> and i didn't mean it uh, what i meant was is it exciting and something that we're looking forward to <laughs> um i think as with many biological processes it, it actually depends how you frame it so um so for my PhD, because it was a waste source that would normally be discarded or potentially burnt, if you could dehydrate it, it like, technically is viable because you're doing better than you would have done with it anyway. Mm -hmm. But if you were to just produce, if you were to try and make hydrogen just by producing sugar, that would be not economic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because you've got a waste that you're going to have to either pay to dispose of or dispose of in some way 
it's a good method for disposing of your waste more than a good method for producing energy. Okay. Yeah, no, it might have, I didn't mean to sound flippant, but it's just, <laughs> so I, you know, I, I double a little bit with um, fusion energy and, mm-hmm. you know, fusion energy, they're just starting to build ITER, which is hopefully the one fusion generator that's going to actually produce rather than just consume <laughs> or rather give out more than it puts in. And, and we're still not going to really know till 2040 and, you know, it's going to cost billions in the meantime. So, I mean, obviously it's a good, it's a good, so any idea of potential ideas for energy uh, production are fascinating, but I just, I see the technological, what we need to overcome with fusion energy in particular. I see that it's, you know, it seems to be an uphill struggle. I think it's possible and I think it could work and I think it's a good future. But yeah. when I hear about other means, like, and like you say, if all this sugar is going to go to waste, if all this stuff's just going to go to waste and we can produce energy from it, that's kind of cool because that waste has still got to go somewhere as well. <laughs> yeah. um, so it was definitely like it was definitely an energy producer versus uh, so a net energy producer. Yeah, yeah. When I when I finished my PhD, it was a net energy producer. That's At the cool. beginning of it, it wasn't. Yeah, um, but it's. Yeah, I mean, you're always going to have to do that energy balance, aren't you? Like, if it's, if you're, and yeah, yeah, you're massively, economically, you're helped massively by the fact you're using waste. And yeah. waste, like in my field, if you're not making food or drink or, or making something to do with healthcare, it's all about waste valorization. Just mm-hmm. trying to do the best you can with the waste that you have. No, that's that's cool, and like I say, I just I just find it fascinating when you're hearing about different fields and different, like I say, especially getting rid of waste because a we don't want the waste, we want to get rid of it, and then if we can produce energy, that's, you know, nothing but a bonus. It's certainly better than burning fuel or uh, burning coal or gas or something like that. So, um, I think that's really cool, and I just, yeah, I was just I was just curious. So, I mean, is this been done is it something that because you said it it's a few years ago now if you've been since you moved away are they actually sort of using this for producing energy now uh no no um i guess it was a hypothetical project rather than i get being truly industrial industrially relevant Uh, i think people are really focusing on like it comes in waves with all research isn't it um, yeah. The use of hydrogen as, a, as an energy carrier is kind of peaking again a little bit. Um, the method for production is still, I guess, under development. A lot of people are looking more towards um, solar-powered electrolysis. Okay. Um, or, I, I guess, getting the heat uh, to drive a thermochemical reaction and getting the heat from like nuclear reactors, hmm. waste heat. Um, wherever you can get it from, I guess, would also be another method. The, bio- the, the biological method isn't perfect. Um, it could probably be further improved from what I did. Yeah. But like not an order of magnitude better. Yeah. No, that's, that's fair enough. And, and like I say, I mean, with fusion we're so far off at the moment i mean there's a lot more work to go and and i mean you you said that a lot of the research in that 
a lot of the research in that field is about sort of waste and dealing with waste and stuff like that. I mean, is that a big problem that we've got lots and lots of food sugary waste that we need to get rid of it's not really something i'd again not really something i thought about i, I thought if it was sugar people were just eating it basically <laughs> um so yes and no like um there, i guess there are nations that produce a lot more sugar than we do mm. and they have an excess so then they will probably i guess there are places that will convert their excess sugar into bioethanol or biobutanol as an again as another energy carrier mm. um usually i guess through like from from america from north america through to south america um there are places that will do that like, but it's not i think it's more the whatever's left from a usually a food production process so um there'll be parts of unrefined sugar that people don't really eat okay um, so being able to convert that to something that's more beneficial um, is, a, is, a, is a piece of work that people do, uh, whether that be energy or more platform chemicals or um, enzymes. There's a lot of work that goes into breaking down lignocellulosics from like woody and plant material. Um, uh, yeah. it's, it's just that, I guess, trying to create that kind of, I guess it's a circular economy, isn't it? People want to have a closed loop. And if you have any wastes, trying to work out what you can do with it to make it valuable or to make it part of your process is something that is always going to be beneficial, I guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, just thinking of superconductors, I mean, you know, a few years ago we realised that MGB2 is potentially a pretty good superconductor and the nice thing about it is it's a waste product like there's loads of it it's dirt cheap and so it's like and it turns out that it's a decent superconductor it's like oh wow this is this is good because <laughs> so yeah no I, I i just don't really i don't know i don't really i guess i don't really delve into the sort of food production and what sort of waste we're generating and stuff like that I'm not really thought about it uh, whenever I think about food production, I'm thinking more about, you know, whether livestock versus sort of vegan type yeah. foods, um, you know, and I hadn't really, hadn't really considered that there's other stuff. I mean, you know, the usual sort of too much sugar, bad, too much salt, bad, but it's yeah. very, very much a sort of overview thought of it. So, right. I think like when you start to think about it and you, investigate it investigate it a little bit more you learn so much stuff um like food production in general in many areas is very it's very low waste like um, okay. there'll be things that you will have eaten or know that you eat that are basically just created from the waste of other processes like um a good example is crisp manufacturer um obviously lots of them are just fried or baked potato but yeah. in in that process of uh, like cutting a potato and washing a potato, you get a lot of leftover starch, and that starch just basically just gets reconstituted and made into the crisps that you see that aren't don't look like potatoes, like skips and quavers and stuff. That's just ah. leftover starch being made into food stuff, so that people that you can sell it and people will <laughs> buy it and eat it. Wow, wow, yeah, and and I'm also loving. Um, I don't know if 
you know this, but uh, I started in mater- in material engineering by um, making crisp packets, putting the metal on the inside of crisp packets. So there yeah. you go. It got me into the whole field of material science. So I love that. <laughs> That's cool. That's good to know. And so then you were you were talking about, um, I guess I don't know, alternative proteins, alternative food sources, really. So what's yeah. the driver behind that? And so, uh, for, so I mean, there's, there's always going to be more than one driver, I guess. So that for me personally, like it's like it's an like, I'm like most people who work in in academia, I just get interested by new things, um, and it's something just to be a bit geeky and, and nerdy about. So, but then if I think about it from a, I guess a career standpoint, um, as you'll know, one of the things that you need to do uh, when you when you stop being as a postdoc, you need to kind of leave the umbrella that is created for you by your PI. Um, but then when you have, if if that doesn't happen, um, you need to try and carve out a niche for yourself within a department. Um, so it's really more about the fact that no one's doing it in my department. Um, yeah which meant that it'd be something that i could have kind of ownership of obviously not in a kind of protective way but um, yeah. at least do the initial investigation like food process engineering food in itself is such a broad area yeah. um so i started off thinking that maybe i'd do more microbiome work um because i'm still going to focus on growing a micro growing microorganisms seeing what you can do with them so i thought initially i start off um, think looking at microbiome work, but it's so broad it, in itself as a discipline that I couldn't think about where to start. Um, and then it kind of became clear that the students would like to have more food and drink stuff. So I start. We started off having a little microbrewery um, that expands. Oh, wow. It's gonna yeah, it's gonna expand, and we can have. Um, an almost entirely student-run brewery in a few years. Uh, hopefully, we'll also do some distilling too, to start making vodkas and gins. Nice. Um, and that's going to be. <laughs> it's going to be fun, but it isn't going to be necessarily as academically driven as I would like it. Um, yeah. So, the alternative protein area is an area that's growing. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of research funding within it. Um, and therefore, it's like an area that I thought would be really useful because it, it, it links back to skills I already have. So there's less learning that I have to do mm. um, to start off with. So, and like, I also find it really interesting. Yeah. So many interesting, like, interesting questions that need to be answered. Uh, that like, material science, there's some sensory stuff. I'm really interested in bringing more kind of psychology or at least just humanities into engineering. Um, mm. So people have more of an, an understanding of the impact of the things that we produce on society, but also like the historical impact of some stuff we don't need to develop because it's already been developed. We've just ignored it for a while, or it's been developed in a different context globally. Yeah. Um, and we should be looking wider than ourselves. No, that, that's, yeah, absolutely. But I love, so, I mean, one thing, obviously, when you're trying to find research and you're trying to carve out your niche, like you say, trying to find your thing, but it's also got to be, it's also got to be commercial because otherwise in this current climate, you're not going to be able to fund it. You're just not going to be able to get the, the funding. And that's, 
something that I mean I've got a lot of sort of scientific questions that I would love to answer with particular material systems but there's no way I'm going to get funding for it because it's just not it's it's just it's interesting research but that's all it is um which is I mean always a little bit short-sighted because the more techniques you learn and the more you learn now then that could come in useful later but that's that's how research is so it's good that there's the money there and it's that part of I mean, I guess that there's more global awareness of sort of the cost of animal farming when it comes to the environment, really. Um, and, and you know, I should be honest, you know, I've been a vegetarian for 25 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been concerned about that for a long time, but yeah. not quite got to the vegan stage because I also have an awful lot of allergies. So <laughs> it's kind of... Um, so I've always worried about the impact of this and always had a thought. And it's good that that's becoming commercial or it's becoming research saleable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely becoming commercial. And I think one of the current one of the current good things about this space is that um you have there's a, the ability to work both with research councils and with industry. Um and the the good thing, I guess, about that is that, as we both know, the research council priorities come and go. They change like the wind, don't they? So, <laughs> if you haven't yeah. got an industrial um, group of people to work with, uh, and then you kind of lose, a, you could lose a bulk of where you could get your funding from. Um, I've got a couple of interesting ideas with some people, like local, small, not really SMEs, like complete startups, um, okay. who do some alternative protein work in London. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to get some, like carve out a little bit of time over the next six to nine months to do some work with them. Um, but then there's all, like, like some of the companies are growing hugely, like getting like large amounts of investment based, based almost entirely of, of an idea. Wow. That's awesome. And if yeah. you can sort of convert that into the research side of it and, you know, like yeah. you say, I mean, it's all, and it's all positive impact stuff as well. Yeah, and that's the key, isn't it? Like, we as academics, we look for positive impact. There's, and as we, I think, is a growing realization. There's more than one way to have positive positive impact, and it can be through your traditional research grants and papers. But when it comes to um, that kind of more industrial impact, it's just as important. And potentially, for, I guess, for as an engineer. Um, re- seeing your work realized is always <laughs> going to be more beneficial to me. But I mean, to me personally, as well as society. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I completely agree about that. But, it, and so, I mean, is there, is there a lot more drive? I mean, I guess when I, you know, became vegetarian, you're talking 25 years ago. And so, you know, the vegetarian was the weirdo and no one really wanted to know. Um, but you're definitely seeing a lot more of a rise, particularly in veganism. Um, yeah. There's definitely more environmental awareness. And obviously, for me, not wor- not working in that field, I-, I hear about it, but I don't know whether it's people just sort of, you know, with good intentions. But it's good to hear that the science is trying to evolve and that actually that there is something there that people are trying to feed that need and potentially there is options. I mean, and definitely I've seen the growth in different sort of meat alternatives. 
So I'm yeah. also allergic to soy, which is a pain in the bum as a vegetarian. Yeah. Um, and I'm celiac, so I can't have wheat, which rules out most of corn stuff, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But it's great to see more and more stuff coming out. And it's great to hear that there's a lot of startups around yeah. London. Um, a surprising number, I think. Like, corn's a really interesting tale because it gives you, well, it gave me an insight of how insular I or maybe we uh, as a nation can be. Because it's been so big for so long, I assumed it was a global company, but they're really only just breaking America. Yeah. Like, um, we, uh, we, like I've been eating corn. Like, corn for me, uh, I, I guess I eat almost everything. Um, but I'm, I'm more kind of conscious now about what I eat than I was, say, two decades ago. Mm. Um, um, but I'd say when I was like an undergraduate, corn was like a cheaper version of meat that mm. I, I could use because I couldn't really afford to eat meat all the time. Rather than thinking about where the meat came from, it was more that like I wanted to be able to eat like something that tasted like chicken, for instance. Yeah. So I could get some corn. Um, and because it's, for me, it's been in my life for 20 years or so, I kind of just assumed that it was everywhere. And it, so you talked, so I had, I was in a, I was on a, uh, a symposium where one of the uh, people from Corn was like, yep, we're really just trying to break the, the market now in America. Uh, they're, glo- glo- I guess globally, food, the rules around food changes depending on where you live. Um, they, like lots of the alternative protein startups were based in uh, around California um, or Boston, as you would imagine, in the States. Yeah. Um, both, I guess, liberal, area, liberal areas, but also the areas that have big biotech companies anyway. Um, so yeah. they started maybe, I guess it grew there three years ago, maybe, with companies like um, Impossible Food, Foods, Beyond Meat, and Memphis meets. Um, but I think the whole area also brings up interesting questions. Like if you're a vegan uh, or a vegetarian, why, the question of why you have become a vegan or vegetarian has to be answered before we can decide, before we, before you decide what, what alternative protein products you want to eat. Mm-hmm. So would you as a vegan eat a cultivated meat burger knowing that no animal had been harmed if it was about the animal cruelty or the animal itself um and lots of vegans still wouldn't yeah um so like it asks it asks more questions than it answers sometimes like which is why i think it's really important to have that kind of humanities element in any kind of educational offering that goes around well i think in all engineering pretty much because engineering is about making things that are supposed to support society um but we as engineers usually have that element of our thinking processes kind of blocked from us we I, I don't know i think there's that thing where we as engineers go we've made you a better thing so you should use it yeah, <laughs> without, yeah, yeah, without, yeah. without whether or not they want anyone wanted it <laughs> <laughs> yeah we can make this therefore you will have it yeah <laughs> I, I completely agree with that and, and that's where it is in, important to be able to bring in sort of social aspects and the humanities aspects and just yeah. do we need to is it a good thing i suppose that's one um and i don't know whether you can answer this but you know 
a lot of people are sort of choosing veganism because of the um, impact on the environment. But what we've seen with other sort of alternative fuels in the past is that you've got an alternative fuel that's not digging up fossil fuels, but actually the carbon footprint of making them is is huge. So, I mean, if we get away from farming, is it going to have the same sort of impact on the environment or is it is there a reduction? Is it better? And I don't know if you can answer this. <laughs> um, so I can't answer it. Is the honest answer. But I think... Um... Like, I guess there's a lot more kind of life cycle analysis done of work to see whether or not it is actually any, is is actually beneficial. Um, I don't think we'll ever go to like we'll never be a completely vegan society. I think what mm. needs to happen is probably that uh, with our meat production or consumption becomes sustainable and not just I guess like societally sustainable and environmentally sustainable rather than we just consume it because it's there. Yeah. 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 I, I often think about the, um, the moral aspect. So, I mean, I used to have a summer job in New York and I used to work with a lot of Canadians and, um, uh, people from the USA and a lot of them hunted, you know, they, they'd go out and they'd hunt and they were always like, Oh, you must really hate this. Like you must, you know, you must really detest it. But the truth was that it was done in a sustainable way. Like they had rules, they'd go out, they'd kill, they wouldn't kill certain ages. They'd only do it in a certain amount. They'd monitor the population and yeah. then they'd freeze it and they'd be eating it over the year. And I'm like, well, no, that's kind of, that makes sense. That's how it should be. Like that's, if we lived in that society, maybe I wouldn't be vegetarian. Yeah. Um, I, don't get me wrong. I don't think that, even in that situation, I'd be able to eat an animal anymore. I just wouldn't. But, but at least that was that felt more natural. It felt more sustainable, and it felt like that's how it should be. Yeah. Um, and so this, you know, the the question of whether if you grow meat in the lab and it's from cells, and would you eat it? Yeah, I don't know. That's. Yeah. <laughs> I also think we have to be a little bit wary of that kind of incremental progress as well like if hmm. my method of making alternative protein is like slightly better than 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 like like um than for the normal farming method is that good enough like yeah if it's just a little bit better why well that's not what we should be aiming for not environmentally anyway we are doing the moral part we're removing the need to kill animals um and like they're i guess forcing them to have a cool, like a an unpleasant or cruel life yeah but um like i guess sustainability wise we should be looking to do much better than just eating yeah I, and that's a really good point because i mean so often and I, I don't know sometimes i get a little bit i see certain environmental groups and stuff and what they do is that they they do a little bit better it's a tiny bit better and then talk about it and think they're done you know it's and this is kind of the same when we're talking about diversity you're like you know you'll see that one diverse person will get to a position that's high enough and they'll be like right we're done now it's good and they won't try and they see that as being good enough and yeah. they've done their part and society is better and we should all bow down to them and <laughs> <laughs> and it that is very similar in both ways like no yeah. like we should always be 
looking to continue and make sure that there are other methods and also like you say small changes aren't enough yeah um yeah and i completely agree with you obviously that that kind of i guess in in my context is often that that assumption because um a bame member of uh, an ethnic someone who's from an ethnic minority has excelled or achieved um a high status like i guess the obvious um example is barack obama means that we now live in a post-racial society which is obviously <laughs> not true um we need yeah we definitely like we definitely need to do better and one of the problems we have i think is and uh, someone I, I said this to someone they disagreed but i think um and I actually had a better example, but I can't remember what it is, so I'll, I'll have to use my name. I come back. We have a pendulum. It's swung, it swung so far one way that um, trying to move it slowly to the middle, where it should be, isn't going to work. You kind of have to force it the other way and then let it correct itself. Um, but that forcing it the other way is, is really, really difficult. Yeah. I have been talking about this. I've been using the example that as a society, we've been letting women do science for what a hundred years. Like universities started letting women. Oxford are just uh, celebrating the centenary, yeah. so we can. And you know, it took even longer for STEM. But let's say generously that we've been letting women do STEM for a hundred years, and for fifty percent of the population, we have twenty-three percent of people in STEM are women. Um, and that's what happens if you just let the let people in and let the pendulum swing back. So I'm fully with you that we've got to we've got to bat it right to the other side, and then yeah. and it's more likely to settle in the middle. Mm -hmm. And that's a big thing. I mean, we don't want. Yeah, no, we've got to take strong, positive, forceful action. And I completely agree with you on that. Um, yeah. it's a better analogy than what I've been using. So I'm going to have pinched that by the next time you hear me speak. <laughs> you are free to have it. Um, yes. It's, but like, as we know, like making that pendulum swing is really hard. There's a lot of resistance to it. Um, it's, I think people find the slow incremental progress towards the middle more palatable. Mm. Yeah. But uh, it's not it's not achieving anything quickly. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, no, I I agree. It's sort of the easier way of doing it is is to sort of let it and people. Yeah, people will be more accepting of that. But like you say, it's just not enough. I mean, we just there needs to be yeah st strong action taken. We need to really change change how things are i mean when you look at the number of black professors in the uk what you're talking 115 out of 20,000 thereabouts i mean yeah what the hell like what's going on here yeah do you do you, i mean i realize we're sort of moving into the um into sort of talking about the uh, diversity and stuff which is which is how we know each other another tiger on my channel thank you very yeah. much um but do you think things are improving? Do you think that that pendulum is being pushed a lot more or do you think that there's still a lot of resistance? I think things are improving because we're talking about the pen pendulum being pushed 
rather than it actually being pushed. Yeah. But I think that's the first step, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, so for specific areas of diversity, um, the door is maybe open a little bit more. So because of the summer, um, mm. there's a lot more, there's a big focus on race and there has been across the entire HE landscape. I think it means that like a little bit of hard work now means that we might get a bit of a swing, but it's only going to be for race. Like, and like you and I both know that one of the things that we try and do is, is we, is whilst we all have our own specific focuses, we are thinking about trying to make things better for everyone. So within my role at UCL as um, the co-chair of our race equality group, it's yes. really been a lot of trying to change some of the governance. Yeah. So, like I always say that the, the best change is to be able to make it easier to make change later. So while I think people want to see actual physical change, but I'm, I, and I think that's really important, but I think if I just were to push through one policy, for instance, that would be a lot of work. Yeah. And then the person who follows me would have to go through the same amount of work again to push through the second policy. Yeah. Whereas if we try and make policy change easier across the board, it helps everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's, and this is one thing that I've been keenly aware of and why I love working with the Tigers is that, you know, it's different. I'm not just trying to make things better for me. I'm not just trying to make it better for trans people. I, I want to, you know, it's all about trying to make it better across the board. And like you say, make it easier for change, make it easier for other people. And it's been good. And, and I mean, I, I get to learn a lot. And, and this summer I've been able to learn an awful lot more as well. Um, and I've got to say, it's been really nice seeing more awareness, especially from fields and especially in media and stuff like that. People talking about these things, about equality, about equity, that just weren't talking about them before. And actually yeah. starting to talk about them with a bit of respect. Like, and talking's the first step. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know how it was for you, but because of the summer and its focus on race, what I found was that there are people in the equity or equality space who I've been to, who I've talk, spoken to, like yourself, uh, for ages mm. about this stuff. But what I really liked about the summer is it gave some of my friends who normally in their environment wouldn't talk about this, these issues like a voice. Um, yeah. They felt they had the ability to vocalize what they were feeling and thinking and discuss their lived experiences in a way that hadn't been done before um so i that was really good it also meant that there was for me um more people i could talk to about yeah this but i'm also like you i love the fact that the tigers is a inclusive space where we learn from each other mm. yeah um, and it, i think it's also full of people who understand where they're like weaknesses with respect to knowledge about equality, diversity, and inclusion. Yeah. Um, and I think that my biggest weakness is probably going to be the next wave of stuff that happens in HE. And I think it's going to be re revolving around ableism. Yeah. Um, because that is like, with me, as with many things, like amazingly pervasive within HE. 
Um, yeah. So I think I think next summer it might be an ableism learning experience for me, as well as trying to be, as we all are, good allies for each other. It's interesting what you you say about that. I I don't know, and the, I don't know why this is, but I found that. Um, sort of when it comes to ableism, when I'm in meetings, I've actually been able to sort of pinpoint actions when it comes to ableism. I, I've actually been able to pinpoint actions and I can be like, why don't we do this? Why do we do this? Um, and I've been able to find, you know, I've been able to point out specific things, but then with racism, I don't know whether I can point out those specific things. It seems like, it, you know, it's quite easy to say, right, we've got to have transcription for all our talks. That's yeah. an easy fix. Um, and I suppose when it comes to race, I mean, you could say, well, you've got to have a BIPOC member on the panel or, or two and, and pulling out of panels. <clears throat> it's, but, I think, yeah. It's, I think actually they're both, um, the way in which they both act is is quite varied. So there are, like there are definite practical elements that you can put out for both mm. ableism and racism. Yeah. But there's always going to be um, like gray areas with racism um, that are really hard to kind of define and stop. So like you say, you can just say, we need to have a representative panel. We need to be more accessible mm. physically and digitally, but there's still going to be like, I think other barriers that aren't just that you can't just solve with a practical intervention um, mm. that usually revolve around culture um, within an institution. You've got to ask, you have to ask yourself difficult questions like why, um, if you get past recruitment where we may have conscious or unconscious bias towards people who are either like, like us or not like us, um, when people are employed, why do they leave? Like, I mean, a good example is Chris, isn't it? Like, hmm. if your culture doesn't support all of someone, it doesn't support any of them, really. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> no. It, so, I mean, like I so said, that's what it, it's been nice. I think I, I realised <clears throat> where things were. It might seem like a bit of a weird example but um so i i enjoy the formula one i watch the formula one um on, on channel four and this uh, last weekend um so silverstone announced that they were naming um the silverstone straight after hamilton so it's going to be the hamilton straight and when they were telling him this they actually said that a i mean he's you know probably the most successful racing driver he is at this point um but also they said but they didn't just say that. They also said, and for all the work that you're doing for Black Lives Matter and raising awareness and trying to make Formula One more inclusive. And it's that sort of thing would just not have been said before yeah. this summer. And yeah. it really struck me that that was the case. And it was, I, c I could never imagine. I mean, a few years ago, we couldn't imagine that there, there would never be, um, you know, the pit girls in Formula One. Um, yeah. and now, and now, you know, we've got people wearing Black Lives Matter t-shirts and standing at the front of the grid and it's like, wow, I just, I can't, 
I'm so surprised, but it's great to see. It is. But as with, I think, all elements of equality or equity, what we've seen is people being more vocal on both sides of the discussion. Yeah. As in, uh, that's, I feel like that's the wrong term to use, isn't it? Because it's, I don't think it is a discussion, but you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I know. Uh, yeah, I, I, I keep on using discussion because it is. <laughs> I mean, people are still talking about it. And so it comes across as a discussion. Uh, I mean, especially with trans rights at the moment, you know, a lot of people are saying there's no discussion to be had. And other people are saying, well, why aren't you talking about it? And so discussion is the only word you can use. Um, and it's, it is, it, it, that's really difficult. I mean, I was quite, so even with, uh, you know, uh, sexism in physics, there's a, a physicist, an Italian physicist who is very openly, you know, sexist, very, um, said some horrible things. And I just found out that they got invited to do a talk a few weeks ago in Oxford, you know. Now, no one was advertising it, but he was here. He got an invited talk to Oxford, you know. Yeah. And people are still willing to do that. And there's no consequence for doing this. Yeah. Uh, and it's one of the biggest problems, isn't it, within universities or academia or higher education in general, the, the lack of accountability, um, I think. So the requirement for freedom of speech which i mean i fully respect i just think if it ever is going to negate someone's lived experience or it's straight towards hate hate speech or incite hate inciting hatred then we should really consider whether or not we allow it to happen yeah. um we with discussion with our uh, uh provost who the head of the university at ucl um are moving towards that kind of model whereby the equality the the affected equality network will be um dis like i guess discussed with whether or not a any kind of speaking event will take place and they also will be allowed to attend so you can't have closed doors so if someone was to come onto my campus and have with, with openly racist views mm. they couldn't have closed doors and i would be allowed to attend if i wanted to yeah um to create to create debate yeah and that's so there's you know there's a, a particular anti-trans group um in the uk well there's a few <laughs> but you know i mean they invited me to one of their events you know they said you're welcome to come i couldn't put myself in that position i just i knew it'd be hard but it's interesting and i mean you were involved with am i right there was um so at ucl there was a lot of work on um is there is there a department or something named after a eugenicist or i'm, I'm i yeah. think i'm mashing all this <laughs> no you're not um uh like i didn't know where you're going with it that's all uh, oh I, no no that's all right yeah neither did i <laughs> <laughs> so we have um the we have the pearson building which uh and we had the pearson building building because it's been denamed now uh that anson mckay works in um, yeah. We also have the Galton Chair, um, which yeah. is a chair of genetics, um, which I believe is also being denamed. We have a couple of other spaces. We actually went, I'm sit on, um, we had a eugenics inquiry and I sit on the yes. response group to the eugenics inquiry. And they're going through essentially where any space in the university or any title or chair that has a person's name on it, they're going through to to see whether or not that name should stay. 
there are some spaces that probably will stay because they, they've basically done a lot of work with regards to reparations. So I think okay. the Rockefeller building. Yeah. Um, and I think they would, I think the Rockefeller Foundation was actually set up as a part of its reparations from um. the, I think they, I think they must have gained a lot of money through the slave trade. Um, uh, I didn't know that. Okay. So oh, I knew about them gaining the money, but the reparations. Okay. Yeah. They, so they've, been, they've done a lot of, uh, our building isn't part of that, but a lot of the work they've done, in, especially in America, has been based around reparations for the work, uh, for what they did. Hmm. Uh, I guess it would have been in the 1800s. But, you know, it's tough, isn't it? Because if you're a rich white man in the 1800s, you probably had slaves. Like, um, what can you, I don't know where, like, where the line is drawn is going to be very difficult, I think. But at least we're making, we're having a discussion about it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. It is difficult. And it's good to hear that they are actually sort of going through. I mean, you know, I've, and again, you know, been talking about this, like, I mean, we can't change history. Like there were people who strongly believed in eugenics and were extremely sexist and misogynist who made discoveries. I mean, they just, they did. And we're not going to, we don't want to, I don't want to erase their name because that's history. That is history, but it's how we celebrate that history. It's how we, do we, and I'm not being funny if we keep on naming buildings or prizes after people that once we know, and yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot of rich white dudes in the 1800s probably will have owned slaves. It's kind of how it is, but I'd not really thought about like, you know, well, what did they do? Did they try and at least overturn this? Were they a positive voice? Did they, because you do hear some stories, um, you know, I mean, there's some scientists who, were basically giving lab space to women before women were allowed to do science and they still lived in that world, but they tried to make a difference and they did, which is good. I mean, what I don't like actually is that discourse around rewriting history when in reality, what we're doing is just giving everyone a fuller picture of history. Yeah. I don't, I'm with you though. Like not everything should be, some things definitely should be uh, denamed or renamed. Uh, but not everything needs to be. Yeah. We just need to have more awareness of that historical context. Hmm. Yeah, and, and, it, and it is, and you do need to have that. And it's, it's like when we're talking about statues and things like that, like it's not necessarily about removing the statue. Sometimes it's about putting it in context, like, you know, giving it space. To be honest, I think it's better that some of those statues are going and they've been put in museums or whatever because that's context for me that's that makes sense um i don't want to see some of these people on the high street when i walk by them and i can't even imagine um but some of them you know i mean there's some statues where i know that people weren't asking for them to be removed they were asking for big plaques to say this is how they got their money and this was their history and this is how they did it um and it seems like, yeah, that's too much as well. Yeah. Like you say, it's having more of awareness of the history. Yeah. Um, um, and like discussing, saying rewriting history, like it isn't constantly being rewritten. <laughs> it's just that people want to have their version of the history celebrated versus 
as like I guess more of what we would describe as a like a more holistic view of history. Yeah. Where you get to celebrate, you, well, not celebrate. You get to understand the good and the bad. No one's yeah. perfect. Like we're not perfect. Like, yeah. <laughs> I've i obviously done bad stuff, <laughs> but I think what I have done also is uh, own up to the bad stuff and try and grow and learn. Yeah. Which I have the, the advantage of being able to do that because I'm still alive, obviously. <laughs> well, and and this is where the, the the problems lie. You're like you know you don't know like say some people it was their time and it was part of how they did now some people still did stuff above and beyond um and when you're looking at people more recently like crick who you know grew up in a time when there wasn't um slavery and yet was still a big proponent of it well yeah they can go you know they can get in the bin (laughs) (laughs) absolutely (laughs) they made a, a fantastic discovery it was great, but no, I mean, they should not have anything named after them. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, we've not got the chance to give people the sort of, yeah, the chance to redeem themselves or, or sort of f- figure it out. And it is a different world. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's like I say, it's not about rewriting history. It's just about putting it in context, making it more open, making it more understood. The physicists that I talked about before said, well, most of the big discoveries in physics have been made by men. Well, yeah, because women weren't allowed to study physics. I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah. you're right. But why are you right? Like, it's, it's like saying that, you know, there's not been any black British prime ministers because black people aren't able to, aren't capable of being a prime minister no they've just not been don't they've not been allowed to be in that position yeah um i don't see what is so wrong with like just saying that like like it's like it's i don't know why people rebel against it so much i've been thinking of you know i mean the the truth is so you know i used to say this whole thing of like equality isn't cake there's plenty to go around and then you start to realize well that's not true because you know there'll suddenly be more competition for those positions for those whether it's prime minister whether it's for mps whether it's for heads of department in science whether it's funding the truth is there's more competition so people have got a vested interest in not allowing equity for other groups i mean all of a sudden they've got more competition and maybe they just don't think they're good enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, I would, yeah, I completely agree with that. Some people are fully aware that they are there in the positions they have, not based on any uh, merit, but just because of who they are. Um, but I think I'm mostly saddened by people who climb and pull the ladder up. Cause I do believe that within a group, it's not a zero sum, sum game. Um, yeah that you should be able to support uh, people from within your group, your protected characteristic, whatever you, want, you wish to define it as, um, to achieve the way that you have. Yeah. I, I had a very, very similar conversation with Andrew Princep the other day about someone. And, you know, I mean, they possibly were a result of positive intervention to try and sort of address gender balance Mm -hmm. 
and what they did is because you know they sort of pretty much got handed things I, you know i think that we it's important we already talked about this it's important to push um but there are some people that will then pull the ladder up yeah i mean it's, yeah. it's exactly what you just said it's um and and seem to have absolutely zero awareness that they've benefited from this and that it's not done that you've got to carry on pushing for equality just because just because you're rich or well off or in a good position doesn't mean anyone can be there it's uh yeah no this there's a lot of good role models that we could be celebrating there's a lot of good people that we could be sort of bringing up and that we should be celebrating and so and that's kind of that's the great thing about tigers and this podcast i'm trying to talk about people you know talk to people who honestly you know i see them making a positive impact trying to make those changes who people who inspire me to carry on trying to trying to do that and and, and you know it, you're oh, one of them <laughs> <laughs> thank you but it is hard sometimes isn't it um, yeah because like often it's about your lived experience people are denying your own like making you seem less than you than yourself um and i think it like it wears it wears on anyone yeah. and but the positive thing like you just said is that there are a group of people who are supportive and if you need them they'll be there and will help you um in any way that they can because like i've i've seen it with so many like had a good example um and i, I hope that of this is that our we have a bme students officer in mm -hmm. our um university uh it's a full-time sabbatical position I don't understand how anyone can do it for more than one term. People do try to. It almost always affects their yeah. physical or mental health. Like it's like the constant barrage they must get of student complaints that revolve around racism. Um, that like I don't know how you can put up with it. Yeah, it's, it's so difficult. I'm very really, I, I I'm fortunate in that. Um, when it's staff, because I only really deal with staff, not students as much so much, that it's usually a relatively simple conversation. And people, because there's, the power dynamic has shifted slightly. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't understand how you, how you could survive doing it. It's, it's really hard. I, you know, I was sort of, contemplating my career earlier on in the year and i was looking at there's a lot of equality and diversity positions and even then even though that's not listening to the complaints i wondered whether if i took on a permanent you know full-time equality and diversity thing like would my fire go you know when you're trying to just trying to change things just trying to it's hard enough you feel that you're butting against a, a brick wall someone once told me that i would find equality and diversity as a job to be a golden birdcage you know it seems great but actually no and yeah they're completely right like i mean they nailed it and i just didn't realize um like, and i don't know how anyone does it full-time like no one can fight that much for that long and i think like naturally 
your, your fire would, it wouldn't go out, but it would definitely diminish. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I feel like the golden bird cage analogy is a really good one. Yeah. Yeah. It was someone that I, yeah, uh, looked up, look up to a lot. And it was interesting to hear that. And, um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But we yeah. are making this progress. We are making little steps forward. I'm, I'm sort of keeping an eye on the time because I realise that you've got a meeting to get to in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. um, from the sort of uh, the science side of it or even from the diversity side of it, is there anything that you want to sort of mention or chat about or anything that we didn't dive into? I realised we ended up talking a lot more about sustainability and environment when we were talking about your subject. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, you know me, I'm happy to talk about anything. That's I, good. I think um, like something we kind of hinted at, um, but not really explicitly said, is that requirement for a support network. Yes. Uh, <laughs> thought, like, I guess there was a, a, a bit in the Tigers about mentoring. Um, mm. And I think there's also a discussion that needs to be had about the differences between mentoring, advising, advising supervising, advocating, sponsoring, and yeah. the different terms that people seem to use interchangeably, but do have like nuanced, different nuance, nuances within their meanings. I think, um, yeah, something I said once was that like it takes a village to raise a, raise a researcher. <laughs> and one, unless you have the perfect supervisor, that supervisor isn't going to do it. Yeah. or your guy isn't going to do it and i think what we need to really encourage is for people to go out and find or create a support network yeah because i think a lot of times people are afraid to ask for help but when you do ask for help almost everyone will give it to you mm -hmm. i mean there are people that won't but you know who they are so you won't <laughs> oh well, yeah yeah you're probably not doing that that's interesting uh, but it does it does sort of beg the question so i've kind of shied away from mentoring there's a few reasons and some is you know to do with like well i'm not quite where i want to be so why would anyone want to listen to me um but the other thing is we're busy you know i mean especially the people yeah. that are making the differences the people that are making the changes are so busy and i'm just like if i took a mentor on i'd, I'd want uh, a mentee i'd want to be able to i want to do it right i want to do it properly and I don't yeah. think that I've got the time at the moment. I think that that's, I think, I think you're completely right. Mm. But I think the key part is that knowledge that they've got lots of them. If you're the sole mentor, yeah. responsibility, if you're telling, if you're if the first thing you say is I can only really help you in this narrow sphere, any other help you want, and we can discuss what other help you want because that like yeah. the first thing is always going to be around framing what's needed you should get elsewhere yeah yeah and that and then it's really like a like just like for, for people like me and you um making people not make the mistake that we've made along the way like a lot of don't do that like it's a lot of work you won't get you anywhere or um <laughs> that kind of thing yeah i keep on saying it's too late for me so i'm trying to make it better for the next gen <laughs> yeah basically yeah and i'm happy with where i am you know it's not ideal it's not perfect and it's not necessarily where i could have imagined but it's good and but yeah if we can work to make it better for whoever's following that'd be awesome yeah so i guess what well, I'm, I'm not telling you uh that you yeah. need to have you need to be a mentor i just think people should find mentors yeah and more than one 
and I actually sort of resonate because I could probably do with mentors myself and I probably resonate with the idea that you know if you ask all of a sudden it's seen as weakness or that you've got something wrong and no I know that I've got strengths and I know I've got weaknesses exactly even just time management (laughs) but it also goes back to the beginning doesn't it if you circle back um I uh, know before we discussed, we started the, pod, the, the podcast or the video yeah. around people getting roles based on who they know. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that informal sponsoring that some people never, never get. So you kind of have to like, and, and like either role doesn't need to be formal, but you need to have someone that you could ask questions about specific things. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's funny. We were talking about people just getting jobs because of who they know, but also there's that's people making use of mentors or, or, you know, in that case, maybe golf, golf club membership. But um, yeah, that's interesting that it is positive. It is positive. And I did, I was advising someone that was a PhD recently who was saying, you know, how do I find a postdoc? I'm like, chat to people in your field, get to know them. Like, because you're more likely, you know, yes, they get advertised, but you're more likely to find someone that has a position. Yeah. Um, I mean, I heard about my current role through a colleague of a colleague who was like, oh, I know this person's advertising. And in fact, my postdocs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you still got to work hard and, and you're not going to get that. You're not just going to get handed the position. Yeah. But it doesn't half help if you if at least people say, Hey, we've got this position and that, exactly. yeah, that's interesting. Exactly. And it's, it's really, uh, so someone, I was in another um, discussion recently where someone described it as um, uh, knowing the cheat codes for a game. Yeah. And if yeah. you don't know them, like you're stuck or like people having the ability to play um, games on like easy mode or hard mode. If you don't know the cheats. Yeah then you'll stop playing the same game as everyone else, but at a disadvantage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And it's just, like say, it's about making sure that, and this is where the equity comes in, making sure everyone's got the same, either no one's got the cheat codes or everyone does have. Yeah, and I, so I'm a big proponent of that everyone should have them. Yeah. The other things like being involved in recruitment processes um, for uh, lectureships in my institution and seeing the differential between people who know things and people who don't. So yeah. like some candidates will talk to members, like all of the, the entire, all the academic staff in the department about their research prior to interview mm. and try and work out how their work would fit in, how they could support each um, other people. Whereas other people just come in blind and be like, this is what I re- I'm really interested in. Um, and yeah. like just a conversation where you, you just say, look, you, you should talk to everyone, everyone that you can, who you think might be linked to your work. You should talk to them and find out how they would want you to link to their work, to their yeah. work. And yeah. you your presentation when you talk to the department, because yeah. then they're going to be like, oh, that's really good because this person is going to help me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I, yeah. I hadn't thought of it in that way. And I realized that I have been thinking around this issue. So that puts um puts a lot i realize that i've accidentally been doing that recently but without thinking about it and now now i can focus myself so thanks for that yeah. <laughs> but yeah. thing. doing too much stuff does stop you from focusing yeah you do yeah. need to take time out and you like have to at times you do like i say everyone should have a mentor or be a mentor 
you do have to be selfish at some point and be like, what do I need to do for me? Yeah. I've become really selfish with my, not selfish, but precious of my time. I spend time modeling in the evenings and weekends and I've got a jigsaw hig. It's like, now I'm turning my computer off. Like I'm turning my work emails off because I need to. And don't get me wrong. If I've got a conference coming up or something, I'm going to work. I'll work evenings. I'll work weekends because I'll need to. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just being able to take time is so important. So yeah. Stops the burnout. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for this chat. It's been, it's been amazing chatting with you. Um, Too long. So hopefully I will, uh, we'll get to speak to each other again soon. Yeah, I hope so. And maybe even we need to have um, a meet-up in London once the world opens again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we definitely should do. Cool. So, uh, cool. Well, thank you so much for that. You're most welcome, Bo. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure. Cheers. Yeah, so that was cool. Uh, That was a great conversation. Rachel ended up carrying on talking afterwards and then I realised that um, Mike had to get to a meeting. So, um, yeah, there was stuff. It's like, oh, I could have mentioned this. We could have talked about this. Could have talked about this. Uh, there was more questions I had. I would have uh, loved to have been able to talk about more, but um, I don't want to take people's time up either. So, uh, you know what? I think maybe some of these conversations I can have around too, like chat with more people. Anyway, uh, yeah, so obviously this is the podcast the vodcast or the podcast depending on the format you're watching there's a whole bunch more out there of the scientific chats um i'm also kind of looking forward to maybe starting to do uh more social justice chats as well um with people that aren't scientists uh, some of my role models but uh, we shall see uh with that thanks very much for listening and um, like subscribe if you can and until next time bye